The glory of the incarnation is that it presents to our adoring gaze not a humanized God or a deified man, but a true God-man, one who is all that God is and at the same time all that man is, one on whose almighty arm we can rest and to whose sympathy we can appeal. So the great lion of Princeton Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. Man's history has been dark and black due to bringing God down to our level to make him part of the creation. Probably the greatest struggle that man has had throughout his long and dark and sinful history has been with pantheism, of identifying God with the world. And thus, on the other hand, exalting man to the place of God, of exalting God. Uh, man and his ways in an idolatrous fashion. And so you see a false covenant theology and a false dominion for man has been what we have struggled with uh, when God offers the true version of these things to us in the gospel. The God-man, the word, is the answer to such darkness. Somebody has said that the hinge of history swings on a door of a Bethlehem stable. Christmas is the day that holds all time and all reality together. Warfield made another excellent observation about the differences between this gospel that we're studying for December, the gospel of John, and the other three commonly called the synoptic gospels because they see their optic, their view is from the same vantage point. There's a similarity between them that you don't find in John. And this is what he said. The divine nature of the man Jesus is exhibited in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The emphasis is upon Christ's humanity, Christ the King, Christ. The, um, the servant, Christ the man, and demonstrating that this man has these divine qualities. He has a divine nature. But John reverses that. John portrays the human life of the divine word. For John, Jesus is the great I am. He is God who has taken to himself our flesh. And as our passage here in John 1 says, has dwelt or tabernacled amongst us, and we see his glory. I think that's a beautiful way to explain the differences of the same picture that John gives as opposed to the first three Gospels. It's the same message, differently emphasized. Luke tells us that there was no room for Jesus in the inn. John tells us he came into the world that he made, And the world did not know him or receive him. Just a different way of saying the similar thing. Matthew tells us of an unusual star that lead these magi, these wise men from the east in Matthew chapter 2, to come that night and, and to find the Christ child. John tells us of Jesus, the brightness of God's glory hidden in the incarnate word. So John's star is, as it were, Jesus. And that's our theme today in our series, the word of Christmas. Jesus is Lux Mundi, the light of the world. The earth wondered at Christ's nativity to see a new star in heaven, writes Richard Clerk. 
but heaven might rather wonder to see a new sun on earth. So our first point looking here at verses 4 all the way down to verse um, 9 is that Jesus is himself the light. As God the Word come at Christmas. He doesn't merely have the light or give the light or show the light, but he is the light of the world. That's what he himself said. I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. He is described here in in verse, um, let's see, in verse 9 as the true light. He is the light of life in verse 4. He is the light who is the word who, as we have seen last week, was with God and was God, is eternal, and is the maker of all things. In his letter, John begins with how God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He goes on in that great epistle and talks about how God then is also life, and God is love. Those are the three main themes of 1 John. God is light, God is life, God is love. It's almost like three giant mountain peaks, and the whole epistle just resonates and, and shines with those three elements. And that's why it makes 1 John such a difficult book, by the way, to, to, uh, to outline, because they just, they just mix with each other. So, in... Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, is all that God is. He is the light and the life, and He is love. In the Bible, light is associated with many different things. Light is something that is beautiful, it is useful, it's comforting to us, it is necessary. Themes such as purity, holiness, truth, righteousness, glory, splendor, beauty, comfort, and gladness are symbolized by light. And so the word incarnate is all of these great things in fullness, in truth. When John says that he is the true light, he's not saying true versus false. He's saying true in the full reality of of God come in the world. He is the veritable truth, if we can put it that way. He is the veritable vine and the veritable bread. And he has come into this world with all of his attributes, all his glory and splendor open for our benighted world. He has come full of the beauty of heaven. He has come with holiness and truth and righteousness and goodness and comfort and gladness. Glad tidings of great joy as Luke's gospel tells us. He is the Shekinah of God where we meet our maker, not in a holiest place of all on earth, but in heaven. Jesus, the word made flesh then, is light, fully light, perfectly light. And Paul catches the same thing when he writes to the Corinthians in uh, the second letter, chapter four. Here's the two options that mankind has with this light that has come into the world. Either the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, uh, I'm sorry, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the one option. And the other is the God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of 
of Christ. You see, this word as light is a big deal. This is not just a little twinkling star. This is not a little light bulb. This is not one light among many. It is an all-encompassing matter. Whatever light that you think you have without him, without knowing and having him, is in comparison darkness, or is something that is borrowed or stolen from him and cannot be rightly used apart from him. I believe one of the most tremendously frightening verses in all of the Bible must be Matthew 6 and verse 23, when our Savior in the Sermon on the Mount says, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? People don't realize that they are in sin. They don't realize that they are separated from God. They entertain hopes that somehow, some way, they will come to heaven apart from the only way to heaven, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, when you do that, you wind up calling darkness light, and eventually you will call light darkness. Now, this is what Jesus, the light of Christmas, is. As John highlights this over and over again, he is the light of life. He is the light of men. He is the light that shines in the darkness, verse 5, which cannot apprehend or comprehend it. And then there's this contrast with John, who had such a powerful ministry that uh, sent by God. In verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And then again in verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the light of Christmas. How appropriate that in our Western traditions, the use of lights at night to celebrate the birth of the Lord fill our homes and our streets. We should look at that and not just think about people's electric bills. Or isn't that just pretty? We should be reminded that the light has come into the world. We're not merely to admire this light. The light is given to bring about change and to have an impact. What kind of change? Well, John answers much in every way. We've already highlighted them. He is the light of men. He is for man. He has come for us. He is a light that banishes darkness, verse 5. And he enlightens every man in verse 9. So take these all together. The light is creating new men out of old. He is taking uh, and making men of light from darkness, from sin, and from unbelief, just as in 1 John Chapter 1. This implies that men are in grave and great danger. We are in trouble. We are in the dark, and we hardly even know it. Without Christ, no matter how many enlightenments we may have in history, um, it will not bring forth what we desire. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, no matter how well you dress it up. The dark world of Isaiah chapter 9 is here with a darkness that can be felt. Man now is darkness. His mind, says Paul, is at enmity with God. His soul has the shades, as it were, drawn down on the windows of the soul so that we refuse the offers of heaven. And yet God sends his only begotten son into such a world as this. 
a world that is benighted. Don't you love that word? Benighted. So you see several things here briefly then. We can only touch on them. We can only kind of, as it were, click our flashlights and move on. First of all, you see in the darkness here of man, man's natural depravity. Man is deeply troubled by sin. Not just the actions of sin, but original sin has changed his character and his nature and has warped us deeply. In John 3, verse 19, we read these words, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And dear ones, nowhere is our darkness more illumined than in the rejection of the gospel, the good news of the Son of God. Here's God's greatest act of love and salvation and life to us. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is counted by mankind as foolishness. This is foolish. We don't need this. So then secondly, this light cannot naturally be received. The darkness cannot comprehend or apprehend the light in verse 5. He came to the world that he made, and he came to his own people, the Jews. But they did not know him. They did not receive him. How can that be? Well, see the first point. Man is totally depraved. Unless there is a great wonder done in him, he is not drawn to the word of God, unto uh, Jesus, who is the light. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And because man does not have this native spiritual discernment anymore, he counts them as folly. The natural man can't receive these things. Now, who wrote those words? The very Spirit who knows so well natural man is not receptive to him. Truly, unless the Father draws us, we cannot, we will not come. There must be a powerful, even a supernatural change that takes place. It's not a matter of free will if men are in the dark. But praise God that the darkness cannot resist the light. Some versions render the verb at the end of verse 5 as... Um, overcome. In other words, stronger is the light of Jesus Christ to save us than our darkness and rebellion of sin against him. He can truly save anybody, and he can save you, and he can save me. He saves to the uttermost all those who come to him. What a perfect saving light, a new and shining star in the sky of man has been placed. We don't receive him, as we're going to see tonight when we turn our attention to verses 10 through 13. I was thinking on the way over here, driving through the rain, that it struck me that sin is like a rat. Rats hate the light. They hide. I'm not talking about your pet rat. Just realize I'm going to step on the tail of your pet. Um, No, rats, non-domesticated, natural rats hate the light. My favorite uncle, Uncle John, um, for a little while was a sod farmer, and he experimented with um, having some cows. 
he wanted some beef. And so he got 10 head of cattle and put them in this tiny little barn. And of course, when you have cattle, you have to have food. And so when he brought the grain into the, into the, into the barn, he also brought the rats. I remember in the morning going to get the tractor and pulling the sliding door on the barn to the side. And just like my eyes were like pie platters, so many rats were all over the place and they just ran as fast as they could from the light. Later, my other favorite uncle, Eddie, and I attempted to send them to their maker. Um, Not very successfully, I have to say, man. They're really, really fast. But that's the nature of sin. Sin is like a cockroach. It hides from the light. It doesn't love the light. It hates the light because it loves its own nature, its own way. Now, these are creatures made by God, and they are not in and of themselves sinful. We are sinful. We love our ways. We are selfish, and we don't love the light. We don't even love the gospel. We don't even love the the, uh, love of God expressed to us in the very Son of God come to this world. So this, this perfect saving light has come, this new and shining star for us. And that's found in verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is not an easy verse because of the grammar. There are several different options here. I'm not going to get into great detail about it, but it can mean several different things. It can mean the true light who enlightens every man who comes into the world. And so he says every single man that is part of this world has been enlightened by the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Or it can mean the true light who enlightens every man. He is the the one who gives all knowledge. Now who has come into the world himself as as the giver of knowledge and sanity He has come down to us. Wouldn't you want to know the one who gives you the ability to think? And then the third option, which I lean towards, is the true light who, coming into the world, is what enlightens every man. That is, he brings the knowledge of the gospel, which is going to have a great effect upon this world. It's that last one that I strongly lean towards without necessarily banishing the others. Jesus, the word, as God in whom we live and move and have our being, he gives us our sanity. He gives us the ability to think and fills our thoughts and so forth. But the way that this gospel is written is certainly aiming towards the whole issue of rectifying the darkness of men. And he brings such a light so as to enlighten men And the gospel has done that very thing. The advent of of Christ has had a great effect upon the world generally. What good Christ's gospel has done. And that because of who he is as the light of the world, the Lux Mundi. What an effect upon every area of life the gospel has had upon our world. It's astonishing. You could go through and hit on, on every single field has been affected as Christ has come into this world. This is attractive to the nations as they draw near to hear the Christmas angels and the songs that are sung. And it says, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? And so John goes on with that very theme of, are you catching this? Are you understanding this? Is this affecting you? 
Uh, John goes on with that theme in 10 through 13. This inspires believers. It inspires the churches uh, to so respond to this light. Looking back at, at what the miracle in Bethlehem did for the Roman Empire, for instance. What a rescue for such a dark history. I've quoted Gibbons to you so many times, you probably could quote it back to me. There is no flight of the imagination that could grasp what would have happened in the Roman Empire had Christianity not arrived on the scene when it did. Rome was horrible. Rome was a terrible place. The idea today that we have to go back and learn, I guess there are certain principles from the pagans that we still learn. They definitely had light. But man, overall, they just did not have an answer for immorality. Um, That alone is found in Scripture. What an effect upon that dark history. Carl Henry said this, The early Christians did not say in dismay, Look what the world has come to. Rather, they said in delight, Look what has come to the world. Is that our attitude today? Are we really looking to what has come into the world in the person of Jesus, the light of the world? Or are we kind of like, how in the world is this dark world ever going to be impacted? Again, many grow discouraged with this. Many just give up. Many even say, oh, the church doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on in the world whatsoever. And that is not only a sad, but a dangerous position Well, that brings us to the the point then of the transmission of Christ as the light, the light of Christmas, and the testimony that is parked right in the middle of this in verses 6 through 8 of John the Baptist. The light shines on men by the light of Scripture testimony. That's how it's brought across to us. The personal word is carried forward to the world by the written word being believed and witnessed to others. The broadcast of this light is by testimony. It's by authoritative witness. The witness begins with God. God sends John. It comes through the prophets and later the apostles, which form the the basis of, of our testimony, the word of God. And then through those who have received the light themselves, we turn and tell others that we were in darkness like they are now, and we have received that light for ourselves. We have received, that is, we have believed in the light. And that is communicated by faith then. And that is that we are to trust in the Lord. Belief is the receptor that connects with this glorious true light. The light is able to save to the uttermost those who come to Christ. And coming to him means nothing other than trusting him. Coming to him means having faith in him, pure and simple. It's faith plus nothing, you see. It's not by works that we are saved. It's not by your religiosity. It's not by rituals like baptism or the Lord's Supper or church membership. Christ and Christ alone is perfectly fitted for this very salvation, to transform us, to take us out of the kingdom of darkness, and with all of the ramifications of that, and to bring you into the kingdom of the Son of his love, the inheritance of light that is found in the saints. When we are brought by the true light into fellowship with the Father, we then step into God's world. Everything changes. We begin to call upon God as our Father because he is. We are seated in heavenly places. We have a destiny given to us, a purpose 
that, that, that will one day be realized based upon the very promise of a God who cannot fail. We have become part of God's very family. We are going to speak tonight about the fact that we are born again by the will of God himself. And we are made children of God. There's no higher thing than that. So um, Christ, the light coming to us by the word and by testimony, it is a necessary light. It is an authoritative light. It is a clear light. And it is a most sufficient light. I want to highlight these real quickly. There is no light apart from him of a saving sword. It's absolutely necessary. In Jesus' light alone do we see the light of salvation. With him is the light of life. The Lord is my light and my salvation, says Psalm 27, which takes on such a richer and fuller meaning in the new covenant. When we come to the new covenant, we see what was just in a very narrow way opened in the Old Testament brought to its explication. That's why we can't just be stuck in the Psalms singing them on Sundays. We must be singing the riches of the new covenant. There is no light apart from Jesus. All is dark apart from him. And he shines light upon the Old Testament. In his light is uh, surety and steadfastness. It is authoritative. It is powerful. It cannot be shaken. It is a rock that is more sure than all creation, which his word upholds. Jesus says the word of God will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not this word. The authority of the word is tremendous. It is based upon none other than God himself. It is more sure than everything that you see. He sends out the word that cannot fail for your stability, for your trust. And his light, thirdly, is clear. It is necessary, authoritative. It is perspicuous, clear, unmistakable, except for our own willful blindness. In his light do we see light. And we only then begin to see Jesus is a flood of truth and of grace. I love the statement that Lewis made. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And that means that without belief in the light of Jesus, the son of righteousness, you can't, you won't see everything else as you ought. The light is himself Necessary, authoritative, crystal clear. It's a message a child can understand. In fact, you have to become a child to understand it. It's so simple. And it's sufficient. It is able to save your soul. The darkness of your life is no match for him. The darkness of sin is so stubborn, is it not? There's no doubt about that. Sin in man is a stubborn thing. You almost want to think that God's having a hard time with sin. There's so much of it in the world. But you should not be fooled by that. His plan is to deal with sin over a long period of time, and especially in the world that is to come. You will see him perfectly victorious over all sin. He's already guaranteed it. And that's why he is not breaking any sweat over these matters. But dear ones, the darkness of sin is real. The stubbornness of it is real. Hell is a place of outer darkness 
in eternity where the wicked and the unbelieving fit. They fit. They get what they want. They don't want God. They want to be away from him. They love darkness rather than light. And they are given what they want. We love ourselves rather than the God who made us. We love our sin rather than the light and truth of the word and of God's ways. We love not his life, his love, even while we want his love. We want love. We want life. We want light, but apart from God. That's what man does. He wants the gifts. He wants the things, but doesn't want God. But that's impossible to have. Hence, man's deep-seated frustrations and self-destructive ways. Because not having the true God, he's going to make other gods. Well, dear ones, we bless the Lord for what he has done. In the light of Christmas, come down to us. A man by the name of Dyer said, Christ uncrowned himself to crown us. He came down from heaven to keep us from hell. God does not want his creature man to go to hell. And that's why the light of the word should be received. Because he is the light and the light of light. He is the creator and the life giver. He shines in the prophets and in John in particular. So powerfully used of God as the last Old Testament prophet to finally see what all the prophets long for. The appearance of the Lord Jesus who came to, to bring immortality to light. He shines in the Bible. He came gloriously into the world that he made. We'll see that more tonight. He came to his people Israel, the fulfiller of all the types and shadows. He is the true light, and he has come to make us his children that we might be born again. How gloriously has he come into the world he made a light of his great love and grace, a light of his surprising love and grace, the light of his effectual love and grace. Though he came humbly, he came richly. Though he empties himself in one sense, he was still full of majesty, and that he has with the Father, full of grace. And there's the word again, full of truth, the realities of glory above. He came down to us, he came down to all mankind, and he came down to you in order to be received. Has he been received by you? Is he that wonderful star in your sky that you live and dwell beneath him, and that that light is growing more in your heart, in your mind, in your actions? Is the path of you, just one, shining more and more to the perfect day. Does his star fill your sky? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the light of Christmas. Thank you for the blessings of Bethlehem. Thank you for these realities that we have touched upon this morning and will touch more upon tonight. Wonderful truths of uh, your work in, in our life that we are not to reject the Lord Jesus, our maker, and the one who has come to be in covenant with us, to be in covenant with both Jew and Gentile alike, who is the very righteousness and power of God for us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves and thank you this day uh, for the word of Christmas. Thank you for the light shining upon our path. 
Help us, Lord, to cling to your word, to love your truth, and to abide by it until it bears fruit in our lives, brings glory to you, and blesses all the world around us. Lord, help us to aim at bigger things in our lives. Wake us up from being uh, asleep in the light. And grant to us your grace, Lord, to be effective witnesses for you, to solemnly testify of who Jesus is and what he is and what he has become for us. Bless your church even this week to that end. And we thank you for this privilege of serving the living and true God and his son, the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.